I'm Maria. I'm Shadio. And I'm Amber. We're from Jerusalem. We're the producers of the Women Behind the Wall podcast. This podcast features stories of how the political seeps into the private lives of people in Israel and Palestine, and how women experience the conflict. These narratives give you a glimpse into the lives of women with deep hopes and aspirations. Most of the women interviewed live in the West Bank. They're women behind the wall. We hope you stay a bit, listen to their stories, and hear the messages they hope you'll hear. On this special episode of Women Behind the Wall, we bring you stories and voices of women and men, Muslims and Christians, who are currently living through the novel coronavirus crisis under Israeli occupation. People all around the world are dealing with the devastation of this virus and our lives have changed dramatically as a result. During times of crisis, human rights, democratic values, and social justice are often overlooked. During this fraught period, we wish to draw attention to what is happening here, both how it is similar to what you might be facing and how it is unique. While there have been important coverage of what this pandemic means for communities, how it is affecting your countries and Palestine and Israel, we found women's voices and perspectives to be lacking. So while we interviewed both men and women for this episode, we center the voices and perspectives of the women living and working behind the wall in Palestine. Hi, my name is Maryam. I live in Ramallah. My family lives in the Hisha refugee camp in Bethlehem, where I am from. What is happening in my community is actually happening, as you know, all around the world. And if I want to speak only about Palestine, um, I would say, of course, it is um, it's a very sad situation because this virus is spreading not only the sickness, but also the sadness in the community. This absence of noises, of voices, of, of movement. I think our concern is actually the world concern about the situation about, and about what is happening. Uh, here in, in Palestine, we are afraid that we will not have beds for those in the ho- who will go to the hospital. We will not have the oxygen. We will not have enough doctors because we're not a very developed country. And even food and everything is actually controlled by Israel. So we are afraid to be forgotten. Bethlehem was the first city in the Holy Land to experience an outbreak of coronavirus. This is high season for tourism leading up to Easter and a time when pilgrims usually travel throughout Israel and Palestine freely, visiting Bethlehem for a few hours or a few days. On March 5th, we heard the first news of an outbreak from tourists in Bethlehem. Hi, my name is Daniel Banura. I live in Bethlehem and I teach Islamic studies at Bethlehem Bible College. I tested positive for the COVID-19 coronavirus and have been in isolation for the last two weeks now. Also, my parents tested positive for the COVID-19 and each one of us now lives in a room in a hotel in Bejala, of course, in isolation. So I spend most of my day in my room isolated from uh, from everyone else. It's been an interesting experience for the last uh, 
12, uh, 12, 14 days in isolation, but it's been also a good time for reflection, for actually getting work done and reading, and also been working on my stamp collection. So this has actually been exciting for me. In the beginning of the infection, uh, the three of us, myself and my parents, had the clear uh, coronavirus um, symptoms, like um, very severe uh, fever and a headache, on a mild cough as well, but that lasted for like a day or two, and then uh, a mild cough kind of remained for a few days. But then now, by the end of it, by two weeks now, we don't have any of the symptoms, and we actually feel very strong and very healthy. And hopefully, we're gonna get tested soon by the Ministry of Health, and then if we test uh, negative, which is more likely, we will be able to leave the, the isolation and go into quarantine at least back home. Surprisingly, the response of the Palestinian government has been commendable for its decisiveness and its swift work in responding to the epidemic. The, the number of cases, the positive cases we have in Palestine, especially in Bethlehem, is very low in comparison to what's happening around us. Like, especially in Israel, the numbers are in the hundreds and also in Jordan and even worse in, uh, in European countries and so on. It's been very encouraging to see how the security forces and how the health ministry, the Ministry of Health ha have responded both in a very efficient and very uh, direct and decisive ways. Due to the outbreak of the virus among hotel employees in Beit Jala, a town that adjoins Bethlehem, there was an immediate lockdown imposed on Bethlehem and its surrounding towns, Beit Jala and Beit Sahur, beginning March 6th. This was done by the Israeli Defense Minister in coordination with the Palestinian Authority. Other Palestinian cities followed suit, closing schools and non-essential businesses over the following days. Six days into the lockdown of Bethlehem, the Palestinian authorities restricted movement even more by setting up roadblocks with Palestinian police stationed at them to prevent unnecessary movement. On March 18th, a curfew was implemented in the Bethlehem district to further prevent social interaction. Israel slowly began taking stricter measures throughout early March, closing schools on March 12th and closing all recreational businesses on March 14th, and on March 19th officially banned people from leaving their homes except for essential tasks. As of March 22nd, the Palestinian Prime Minister ordered a lockdown of the entire West Bank. However, despite being in the West Bank, illegal Israeli settlements follow the directives of the government of Israel, even though Palestinians and certain jobs from nearby neighborhoods are continuing to work in the settlements. We asked what life is like in Palestine right now. Maryam shares what life is like for her family in Bethlehem and Ramallah, where she is currently living. The fear is spreading and uh, people are scared and uh, people, are, of course, are sad. But they are scared because of they don't know, they don't see this virus. <laughs> they don't know what is next. And not only that, it's because Palestine do not have all these equipments to fight this virus. The Palestinian Authority, I think, was very smart to move uh, as early as possible to restrict the spreading this uh, coronavirus. Uh, the Palestinian Authority closed all of uh, from moving from city to another, and also it closed even inside the city. Like you can't move from a camp to a village or from a village to the city center. All restaurants and all cafes in all over Palestine are closed and cannot open. The Palestinian Authority ordered everyone to close their businesses except for um, the grocery stores. And nobody can move out of the house but for a grocery and 
and if there is an emergency they can call so this is what is happening right now other than that we express our love and or our hospitality uh, by shaking hands, kissing on the cheeks and uh, hugging and are a very warm society. And even our hospitality, like we invite people to come drink tea or coffee all the time or eat lunch and dinner or stay for hours talking. And so all this stopped. Uh, everything like that uh, stopped. The, the relation is now is a text message or a call which is bringing a different culture, the culture of the virus <laughs> that is winning now. My name is Muhammad Qafisha. I am from Hebron. I work as a journalist and also I am volunteering with a human rights organization called Youth Against Settlements. The current situation in, in Palestine, it's very similar to the situation, let's say, happening all over the world. People in Palestine are afraid of coronavirus. For sure, everyone here is afraid of coronavirus. People are afraid to be infected and move this infection to other people. Because we have a lot of elders who are very dear to us and people are afraid to infect these old people. And so we are seeing that less, less movement, much less movement than it used to be before the corona comes here. My name is Walid. Originally, I am from Kufur Aqab a small village to the north of Jerusalem. Uh, it uh, lays uh, under the jurisdictions of the Jerusalem municipality. Yet, it is now became situated behind the segregation wall. Where I live now in Kufr Aqab, I can say that I live in a place which is fair enough to say it is a no man's land because it's part of Jerusalem, but it is behind the wall. The military and the police apparatuses, the Israeli police apparatuses do not access this area. And on the other hand, the, the, the Palestinian Authority cannot uh, roam in this place because it is not considered part of areas A and B and C. So the place where I live in resides like uh, 60 to 70,000 people and we don't have a municipality, we don't have apparatuses to control our life, to manage our life, and we have like a lawlessness cases here, situation, lawlessness situation. So it is very dangerous here. I, I'm not sure if we have here, and I also allow myself to talk about the whole West Bank, the Palestinian localities in the West Bank. I'm not sure if we have the proper resources to control the expansion of this virus. If things went worse, I'm more concerned about our situation and who exactly would take care about us. Now it is a situation where it affects both sides, Palestinians and Israelis as well. Because we are living in a colonial, uh, under colonial uh, conditions, I doubt that a colonizer would treat the colonized the same in terms of caring about the, the, the residents and checking the people. Those we spoke with emphasized their concern over the situation and their desire to not be forgotten. They shared about the complex dynamics of regulating the rules and procedures around lockdowns and quarantines across the fragmented Palestinian society that is divided by physical barriers and differing legal statuses. 
One of the most common themes that arose was how life under lockdown and sheltering at home, contrary to most of the world, is not a new experience for Palestinians. I think what is happening here is different than the rest of the world for mainly one reason. It's because Palestine under occupation and the restriction of movement is happening and is still happening from the Israeli occupation. So Palestinians are used to this restriction of movement. Even when they asked everybody to stay at home, they went around the city with their mics and saying that we, we ask you to please not move outside of your house because of your wellness for you and for others. And please take your social responsibility. But they did not use the word curfew. So because the word curfew was used uh, from the Israeli occupation. So even the, the wording of all this, of the restriction of movement is used differently from the Palestinian Authority or from Palestinians here. So yes, and it's, it's different because as I said, we are experiencing it as, as Palestinians. Like for example, my father said, you know, I can stay in this room for years because he was in prison for four years. So it, like it, they say it as maybe a joke, but it's not really a joke. It's, um, it's how they use their experience from being in jail and for, from being a Palestinian on a checkpoint or a Palestinian who is restricted from moving from a city to another with this virus uh, crisis. <laughs> and are actually giving advices to the world on, how, on what to do in this situation. I have experienced this before, but not uh, the virus thing, of course. Um, I experienced, and as I said, I'm still experiencing it, the, uh, the restriction from the Israeli occupation. But we had a curfew, for example, in the Hesha refugee camp, for 40 days, I was 14 years old, and we were not allowed to move outside the house, even any ambulances, we, like they shot, couldn't move the ambulances, we, we couldn't have food, we couldn't move at all. In my house, for example, we were four families, or even five families in two rooms. And of course, the noises, uh, the sound of the shootings and the sound of uh, soldiers uh, yelling and tanks and the, and the camp moving and, and uh, people dying. And, and uh, one, one of the people who died during this, uh, uh, this curfew, my grandfather, my grandfather was 62 years old and he was shot 35 times uh, in his body when he moved out of the house to to try and get us bread so we couldn't we couldn't have a funeral for him and for example my husband's grandmother just died uh, three days ago and we couldn't have the funeral for her that we would have done mosques are closed here churches are closed for the first time the church of the nativity closed for example, usually when a person uh, dies, we go to the mosque, as Muslims, I mean, we go to the mosque and pray. But this time, people prayed, are praying on the streets. 
because they can't go to the mosque and not everybody is allowed to be on the streets to pray. If I'm thinking about the occupation as a virus, I would say maybe the occupation, I can see the tanks, I can see maybe the soldiers, <laughs> um, but the virus I can't see. <laughs> You know, in Palestine, people are already living in, in, in jail. People are already in a lockdown. And for a lot of people around the world, this seems to be like crazy. It's happening for the first time in their life. It's happening for the first time in our life. But the procedures to contain the virus are not new for us as Palestinians. We are already living in a lockdown, especially people of Gaza, you know. So for Palestinians, when it started, actually, even when it started here, people, they did take things seriously, but they also turned the virus into a joke, you know? And that's understandable because closure, this, um, you know, all of these things is not something new for us um, because everybody knows it's occupied land and we have, uh, you know, this lockdown on Gaza, the West Bank, we have no airport, uh, you know, traveling is sometimes forbidden for us. So a lot of Palestinians are not feeling that this is much different of their normal life. So for a lot of people around the world, they, they just see this is crazy what we're living. But as I said, for, for many Palestinians, this is just like their daily life to be in a lockdown, people who are in jail, or to be not able to travel, or not to be, to be able not to move, you know? So this is the thing about Palestinians and the difference between the situation in Palestine and the world during coronavirus. Before coronavirus comes to the world, I have experienced this and still experiencing this. And even after coronavirus goes away, we will still and I will still experience, uh, you know, the restriction on, on the movement, on my movement. Um, I live in Hebron and I live in, in an area where I cannot move freely. I, uh, when I want to get out of my house and go to meet my friends, go to my work, I have to cross two, from two to three Israeli checkpoints. And uh, so even growing up during the Second Intifada, as a Palestinian, I, I couldn't go to my school for four months. It was more dangerous, that kind of restrictions, you know? Not able to reach my school, helicopters are in the sky shooting, uh, Israeli military jeeps, going around and announcing curfew so that time it was it was more dangerous actually than now now it's an invisible enemy but that time it was a visible enemy and you could be killed in the street so this is not something new for me personally i've experienced this before and i think as palestinians even after coronavirus goes we will still experience this unfortunately My name is Hind, and I live in Bejala. It's uh, next to Bethlehem. You might remember Hind from episode two. Hind reflects on earlier times in life where she experienced limitations on movement and lockdowns. We experienced uh, something like this, not to move from our house, but it was different. It was something you have to do it. It was not allowed to go outside. It was curfew from the Israeli uh, government like if you go outside someone will shoot you or you will be in a problem or they will take you or so it was different now people 
they choose not to go outside the house because they are afraid about themselves. Like for me, this time is easier. Even I don't uh, hang out with our neighbors or anyone or I don't leave at all, but I do it. I choose to do this to protect myself and to protect others. So it wasn't some, something that they push you to make it. This came up frequently. The fact that Palestinians feel agency in this situation. They are acting to protect their people, not being held in their homes by an occupying force. As Palestinians, we are accustomed to restrictions of movements because of the checkpoints on the wall and uh, the myriad of ways that Israel controls our movement, our bodies. Um, and uh, in, in a way, this is a silver lining of what's happening here, that we are accustomed to this. We know what to do and we uh, are, are, uh, have, have taught ourselves to manage and to function despite all of this. The difference, of course, here, that this is a self-imposed a restriction of movement for our own sake versus a restriction of movement forced on us by a foreign occupying oppressive uh, force. This is perhaps the blessing in disguise for us. Um, and uh, this makes it very unique for us as Palestinians versus the rest of the world that are still um, trying to figure out what it means to have curfew or to have restriction of movement or to have lockdown. We've done this so many times. This is, has become second nature for many of us as Palestinians. This experience of restriction of movement nowadays is actually reminding everybody of, of the strength that they had during the curfew of 2002 and trying to tell each other in our community to be strong and hold on and like we have done it we we have done even worse we passed through it we we can do it i want the people to know that if they need any advice on how to stay strong on how to be able to understand what is the restriction of movement they can ask a Palestinian who faced this. I'm not trying, to, of course, to be funny, but uh, no, Palestinians have faced this and I think they have an experience. During our discussions, some of the women raised the gendered nature of sheltering at home and lockdowns. Women from the Bethlehem area and outside of Bethlehem readily responded, noting that the Palestinian Authority told mothers not to come to work in order to be with their children, which was, in part, helpful, but on the other hand, hurt their families' income. With children home from school since March 5th, the responsibility for child care falls to women, to meet their everyday needs and to help them keep up with their education. Shireen, the director of community and development at a local college, lives in Beit Sahur, an outlying town that is part of the Bethlehem district and has been under quarantine since March 6th. She discussed some of the gendered aspects of the work. Uh, it's actually harder as a woman, it's harder for women because our culture is a very demanding culture on women and how women should be the initiators taking care of the family. With such situation, it's all about women working intensively 24-7 in the house to make sure that everything falls into place. Men are, I want to say, only doorkeepers for the, the moment. If they work in the medical field, they go out every day, they try to help. 
but uh, most uh, of the women the women work uh, all the time when i say work all the time it starts from cleaning the house making sure that food is provided and as you know if you're kept in a house not going out for a long period of time that you consume double or triple and women has to do all these uh, things and come with creative ideas meals to make sure that the kids are maintained and imagine my like myself i have four children and three of them go to school so i have to make sure that all the three of them and they're still not old enough to do things by themselves so i'm still trying to keep up with homework with everything that the school requires schools are a challenge because if women or mothers did not help with children then uh, the schools will be delayed and we don't know how many months will they be delayed and then we don't have equal chances of getting uh, what's called educational support this actually even for women who stay at home moms for example or who don't work they it's a lot of of course burden on them uh, like for example my friend will call me and say oh my god it feels like ramadan and her husband keeps picking on the food that she has to cook or uh, asking her so many questions about the food or uh, saying something about the house or the kids or you know because her husband is at home most of the time so yes like we joke about it but it's true like the burden is more than the children and their needs of playing and doing things they are full of energy so for women it's like she works all women work all the time at home now like coffee tea make us sweets make us dinner make us lunch make us so all this around food <laughs> and of course cleaning and of course uh, taking care of children taking care of of everything everyone's uh, needs so some of the jokes says for the teachers for example let, let the teachers and the students maybe stay in school and we will come and visit them once in a while <laughs> it's really for me as a mom and as a woman i said after this time we need a break a time to do nothing in it because my husband though he help a lot but it's not like as the woman you know he help but for me i have to do everything especially in our culture this is it and my husband he do a very good job by helping a little bit but not i know many husbands they don't help at all it's all about the woman she have to do everything on top of the challenges at home under quarantine isolation and lockdown the occupation continues with night raids arrests and demolitions in terms of political situation of course i care for the others who live on the on the other side but um, i don't think uh, israel is showing any good intention just recently we've had uh, soldiers you know came into bethlehem and uh, made a big deal of uh, trying to uh, capture some youngsters and they did also miserable things in hisawiya and they're still taking some of the workers from palestine and they were putting them into Israel for two months and they will not come back to their home in order to continue building, whether they would be affected or not affected. They continue to build settlements and so on. So I don't have any bright side about the political situation. 
And when they announced that Bethlehem was on siege, I don't think they cared about how or whether we have enough resources or not. I think it was a selfish move that they wanted for themselves rather than for the Palestinians. Sharona, an American activist working in an Israel-based human rights organization that advocates for Palestinian rights, reflected on this. The coronavirus um, crisis has indeed um, presented us all with a huge dilemma in which we are witnessing the continued and possibly even an acceleration in measures being taken against Palestinians and measures to entrench and further the occupation. This past week, we've seen demolitions, we've seen an increase in police violence in Alisawiya in East Jerusalem. We have also seen settler violence continuing in communities um, such as Huwara, where 20 vehicles were vandalized, or in uh, Rukin, where a Palestinian farmer was attacked by settlers, and in Burqa, two days in a row in which um, Palestinian farmland was damaged and invaded by settlers. Um, And these are only a few examples, but these things are continuing. And there have also been quite a few arrests, especially in Jerusalem and even in Bethlehem, which is supposed to be under lockdown. We as Palestinians thought that this coronavirus would let Israel stop for a while. the attacking and the arresting of people, but it did not. So they're not stopping their attacks. They're not stopping even during this time. Well, some of us really thought maybe there is a reconciliation under this virus, like a virus reconciliation between Palestine and Israel. But this is, of course, will not happen um, because of the action that Israel is doing. So we are actually fighting two viruses, the colonial one and the corona one. The continuation of the occupation during this global crisis is not what raises the most cause for concern. Rather, it is the potential entrenchment of measures implemented during this time, while the world is distracted and Palestinians and human rights activists are limited in their abilities to document and protest what is happening. I would encourage Americans and all those overseas to be careful to not ignore what's happening here. While I understand that all of our, the whole globe is in crisis um, and there may be empathy burnout, I would be very careful to continue to pay attention and, and raise awareness to what is happening here. Because one, the Israeli government has had a history of capitalizing on crises and instituting measures that end up being entrenched. And I, I believe that many are concerned that's what's going to happen here right now. And, and that the apartheid reality that we're heading towards will become very strongly rooted once this crisis is, is complete and that the measures that are being taken will be used against primarily, first of all, Palestinians who've already been subject to many of these measures, as well as any who oppose the regime of occupation and apartheid. So I think we need to not ignore what's happening and to continue to raise awareness to this.
During this period where many of us are sheltering at home, living under isolation, quarantine, or lockdown, reimagine what you want for yourselves and society. Systems that we thought were set in stone can be appended. For those of us with the privilege of having home and food and a support network, whose lives can revert to a semblance of normalcy afterwards, remember those for whom this is not the case, and who have faced and will encounter this for years to come. If this situation is uncomfortable for you for days, weeks, or months on end, imagine how this feels for others who face this when there is no virus or global health crisis. Katie, an American living and working in Palestine, summed up some of her sentiments. There's a, a resiliency, I think, that people here have just had to um, build over the course of their life because of the situation consistently being uncertain. Um, and so their ability to maneuver these situations that might seem uncertain, they do that um, with a grace and, and an ability that, that encourages me. And I'm glad to be here and to be with um, people that I think handled these things very well and, and again, like so graciously and gracefully. Being under curfew or lockdown is not something new. In this case, it's due to the virus, not due to the political situation and the occupation. And I think in this case, they're well prepared. Um, so you don't see like panic and hysteria. This is something that again, I think that they model to the outside world of how a community can come together and be reasonable and rational in dealing with things like our stores are still fully stocked. We have plenty of what we need and people are consistently checking in to make sure that one another is okay. Um, this community, especially in Bethlehem, is modeling again to the Western world in that um, by coming together, looking after one another, there's a solidarity, there's an emphasis and a value on community and one another instead of oneself. And I think this is a beautiful thing that can be portrayed to the outside world, especially with how Palestine is portrayed in the media. And so they continue to show their strength and solidarity with one another and also just their kindness and graciousness to one another. And even to someone like me, who's from the States and has chosen to live here for work, had an outpouring and an abundance of just generosity um, and care from this community. So. We should be looking to see what's happening here in Bethlehem and modeling that in the West to show our humanity to one another. We hope this episode provides you with some insight into the current situation in Palestine. It's evolving quickly here and elsewhere. We encourage you to monitor what's happening in the lives of everyday people. On March 22nd, as we edited and produced this episode, two cases of coronavirus were found in Gaza, which could massively impact the area that has been called the world's largest open-air prison and has been under Israeli blockade since 2007. One of the lessons of this virus is that when it touches one of us, it threatens all of us, and we hope that in spite of the global crisis we face, we will be attentive to the most vulnerable among us. For more information on what is happening here, we list a few media outlets and social platforms you can follow on our website, www.womenbehindthewall.com, under episode 11. All interviews were conducted via online social platforms in accordance with the social distancing, shelter at home, and lockdown restrictions that we are currently facing. Thank you to Churches for Middle East Peace for helping to co-sponsor this episode. You can find them at 
www.cmep.org.